0: business leaders and apply their wisdom to your life and business. On Story Tuesday, Chandler shares challenges he's faced and overcome to grow his business from the ground up to a seven-figure business. Chandler shares lessons he learned the hard way about taking and holding on to too much in his business that threatened to overwhelm and lead to burnout. He shares processes, systems, and growth strategies for scaling that both grew his company and prepared him for the setbacks that came with the pandemic. Before we dive in, I wanted to share that the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is brought to you by Adaptability Coaching and Consulting. If you lead a seven plus figure business and want to reach the next level for yourself and your business, if you have passions, goals, and dreams, and want to continue to strive as a team, a leader, and a visionary without risking burnout, if you have overcome challenges, developed wisdom, and know that adapting is not just for surviving, but a core part of thriving, then adaptability coaching is for you. With psychology and neuroscience-backed tools, the 3D Adaptation Framework can show you how to tap into and harness the way our brains are uniquely designed for adaptation. You can learn to harness and leverage adaptability tools and frameworks to grow yourself and your company. You can learn to become fast, flexible, and formidable. You can learn to hone yourself further to proactively adapt to thrive instead of reactively adapting just to survive. To learn more, go to dryeshide.com/slash coaching. Join me in welcoming Chandler Walker, co-founder of Stone Age Fuel School of Fitness and consulting programs, including the Brain Code Rewire, with his six pillars of wellness, which we talked about on Insight Sunday. Thank you and welcome back, Chandler. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me again. Last time was exciting. So hopefully, this time we can continue to take over the world.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you. And for those of you who haven't yet, on Insight Sunday, we talked about the six pillars. We talked about how emotions and cycles of kind of relating to them and acting in particular ways can really get in the way of making progress, both with our own health and with our businesses, and how, Chandler, you really help people and their businesses grow by addressing that through the six pillars and also through the brain code rewire, which is what you call the program. So thank you so much for that. If you haven't yet, go back and listen to Insight Sunday's episode with Chandler and then come back. And again, Chandler, thank you for grabbing a seat with me on the business couch for a second time. And on Story Tuesday, we dive deeper into your hard-earned lessons so that we can all learn from that. So I wanted to start with some of your most memorable lessons. Can you share one of your really big learning experiences whether that's in your business, personally, with your client. I know you talked a little bit on Insight Sunday, but I'd love for you to bring us into a moment, what happened, and a takeaway.
1: Yeah, I think one of my biggest learning experiences, especially in business, was our first year in business. I was coming off this med school track, so I wasn't necessarily designed or trained to be an entrepreneur. I mean, I had watched my father as we grew up. But coming into it, we were able to essentially have the business maxed out with clients when we opened, which was a good thing. But we also weren't ready with systems, and so what happened was we were. I think I was going to the facility from 5 a.m. till like 11 p.m., and so it, it put me on this cycle, this destructive cycle, to where we were there 24/7 almost. My little sister even at one point said, "Hey, I think you're a vampire." And I was like, "Why?" And mm. she said, "Because you only come out at night." And so we kind of recognized after about a year of doing that that it wasn't sustainable, and that we needed to create real change in our business to actually scale the business long term. So the big lesson there was we had to install staff, we had to take back some of the programs and reinstall some different things, create docs for all systems and strategies for people to be able to follow them, and then slowly scale ourselves out of the business. And that was a huge learning experience, but it benefited me and everything else we did long term.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. So what I'm hearing is that the first entrepreneurial endeavor that you started or at the beginning of it. And it sounds like you did a lot of shifting and pivoting. But at the very beginning, you worked really hard to get clients and you really succeeded to get clients in. You were working so hard and you found that what was really lacking was systems and parts of programs that were in place or intentionally working on programs and with the staff so that it would really be able to open up your time. So while the business, it sounds like, was kind of getting really filled up with clients, it was really taking a big toll on you. Yeah, that's
1: it. And I think it's like the idea that when you first jump into something, you don't really know what you're jumping into, especially business. And so for us, we had to learn through trial by fire. So it was, hey, this isn't working. We're working 24-7. We got to adjust this. So we learned how to adjust. We learned how to modify and ultimately succeeded, but definitely wasn't easy in the beginning.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like you ended up doing a lot of different things. I'm remembering that you talked about Staffing, training, creating documentation and being able to really kind of rework or consolidate various programs to be able to make it much more sustainable for you and for the rest of the staff and ultimately for the business. What do you think might have happened if you didn't do that?
1: Yeah, I think we would have ended up where a lot of business owners end up where the entire business depends on you. And it depends on you not burning out. And so I think Mm. what would have happened eventually is we probably would have burned out and either sold it but not been able to sell it because we didn't have a sellable asset. Mm. Or we would have just roamed on for 20 years and let work control our entire lives. And so I think creating that shift and creating that pivot allowed us to have longevity in this kind of stuff. Mm.
0: Yeah, and as you're saying that, it really reminds me on Insight Sunday, one thing you mentioned is that your dad really discouraged you from going into entrepreneurship. And I wonder if there's a piece of that that's kind of connected, because I think so many people who go into business think about it as freedom and then can get really stuck in the weeds and can get really stuck with feeling like they're actually more saddled with work and have less freedom and can really struggle with making that kind of shift. So I'm curious if that kind of contributed in some way in the experience that you had or maybe the way you'd initially gone into it And ultimately, what it was like to get out of that.
1: Yeah, I think working with him, one of the reasons he didn't want me to go into business was because he saw how it consumed his life and how it made him work all the time. And he didn't necessarily have the freedom people think they have. A lot of people think with business, it's just, Hey, start an online business, open up your laptop and just live in Bora Bora while you make millions. But in reality, it's it's a lot of blood, sweat and tears building it up. It's a lot of learning. It's a lot of failing. And it's a lot of just trying to figure out how to make things work and not giving up as you move through the process. And so that's kind of like what we did. We said, hey, we need to adjust this. We need to make change so we have longevity here. And so first thing we did was, okay, we need to hire staff. So started hiring staff, then started creating documentation, then started learning that you have to set expectations up front. So we created that strategy. Then once we got staff kind of set up installed, we started creating a sort of business guidebook or a operations manual to have everything in there that we needed from procedures on how to open the door, procedures how to turn on a computer. So that way everybody had everything mapped out and available. So they didn't have to come to you with a million different questions. And what I found was building that, if your staff come to you with a hundred million different questions, it's because you didn't train them appropriately. You didn't give them the required documentation to help them learn,
0: or you set the wrong standards with them. So I'm going to repeat that because that sounds like such an important, really big point. If you're hiring and the staff keeps coming to you over and over and over for questions, it can be an indication that what's really needed, and there may even be a failure here to train them effectively, to give them all the information, all the learning that they really need to be able to really function independently.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's how you get yourself out of the idea of micromanaging. So A lot of business owners think they have to micromanage or nobody does it like me, so I'll just do it myself. And it's like, it's well, no, it's not that nobody can do it like you. It's that you haven't trained them properly on how to make it work like you. Everything a business owner has is usually right up here. But it's not on their computer. It's not in docs. It's not in training philosophies. It's not in like an online school for staff training. And that's the problem. If you bring staff on board, you set the expectations of what they need to do. You set the expectations of how they learn. You set the expectations of what is expected from them. They'll do it. They'll follow through. And if they don't, you can call back to that and ask them why it didn't happen. And then you help them create a strategy on how they can be successful. And so I think that's ultimately how you become a leader and a mentor to your staff, and not just a boss.
0: Hmm. So what I'm really hearing is when you want to scale and grow and when you really want to get out of and pr- make sure you prevent yourself from getting exhausted and burnt out, you really need to be aware and intentional that what you have learned, anytime you hire someone, they haven't been through all of that experience and what you really need to do is to develop a process or set of processes or systems, training manuals, documentation, anything and everything that will help walk them through and understand what it is that you do, why you do it, how you do it, and how they can do it, and why it's really helpful for them to do it that way. And as a result of that, you'll be able to essentially kind of replicate yourself, which is the whole idea when you're hiring, is to get someone else to do something rather than you having to do it yourself. And so it's so important to really show and walk them through every part of and every step in that kind of process of learning and being able to do it And do it hopefully as well as you can. And if they're not able to do that, it might be that it's the wrong person, or it might be that the training and what you've given them really is not sufficient for them to get up to that level. Or perhaps they need a little bit more time. Could be any of those, or perhaps something else.
1: Yeah, exactly. And a lot of business owners say, Well, how do I do that? How do I build this kind of stuff? And I'm like, just open up a doc and write down the exact process you do to go through this thing that's in your head and then make a video about it. And so that's like what we do. We write down the exact process we go through. We put it in an SOP sheet where everybody has access to all their SOPs. Then we make a video showing them how to go through the process. And then we do it with them. And then they do it while we watch them. And then they do it by themselves. And we kind of critique them and tell them how they did. And so it's the idea of if you're going to be a professional and hire people, you have to be a professional in how you train
0: them as well. Mm. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And it is such a really big lesson There's so many people who start, and as you said, there are a lot of people who think that you can just open up a a laptop, move somewhere and perhaps make millions. And then people often get really stuck in the opposite where they find themselves sitting or working for hours and hours on end and really struggling to let go of things and struggling to allow others to take it on. And then in this case, it sounds like such a big piece of that as you're really pointing out, is really not effectively training and teaching and showing them how to do it, and making sure that they can do it independently so that you really don't have to be stuck doing all those things all the time. And that's a huge part of what can lead so many entrepreneurs and business owners to end up in burnout.
1: Exactly. And it all stems back to like what I said last time. It comes from your ability to communicate both verbally in written form and your ability to be able to display that to other people.
0: Yeah, thank you. So I wanted to ask... I know you mentioned a little bit last time, and I think it's really important. Have you ever had a situation arise that required a really big pivot? And I know the one you were just talking about is, I'm curious if there are other situations in your business that has really required a big pivot or adapting in terms of having to really change something in a really fundamental or big way.
1: Yeah, I think for us, there's obviously the pandemic's happening. And so we have our brick and mortar and... We've always had an online program and always had an an aspect of it there, but I haven't focused on scaling it as much. And so in November, before the pandemic really hit, we kind of decided to really put a lot of effort into scaling that side of things. And so I think that pivot was really beneficial for us because now it's a fully operational program that probably produces more revenue than the
0: brick and mortar itself because of how hard we pivoted into it. So I'm hearing that even before the pandemic, you were pivoting into that to make sure that your business was not just reliant on the brick and mortar, on people being able to physically come in. You wanted to really be able to expand and have additional kind of avenues or directions or ways in which you can create revenue and help clients. And that really paved the road for when things got bumpy.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was like 2013, we opened the brick and mortar. 2014, we have the beginnings of the online. 2015, it's functioning at a small scale. 2016, we have an app and it's really growing. 2017, we're kind of just working on the app, making it better. 2018, all right, let's talk about scaling this. 2019, we finally scale it. And then 2020, and we're doing okay in the pandemic because we already had the jet fuel behind the engine to make the thing grow. So all we had to do was put more energy and effort into that. And we didn't see any sort of pickups or problems associated mm-hmm. with the business in terms of the brick and mortar. And I think a lot of people don't understand that the biggest strength of the entrepreneur the a small business owner is their ability to pivot quickly. Large businesses will take six, seven, eight, nine, twelve 12 months or even longer sometimes to create pivot. For us though, we can pivot on a dime. We can pivot a shift, we can adjust, we can modify and we can have something going within 30 days sometimes. I often hear people say like "Stay in your lane, and I think it's important to stay in your lane of expertise, but I also think it's important to be flexible and understand the market doesn't always allow you to stay in your lane
0: mm-hmm. yeah, there's a reason that cars have turn signals and steering so that you can switch lanes sometimes, and sometimes it's by necessity that you have to switch a lane sometimes the circumstances kind of cut us off or get in the way, and there is a part of it that's really important to be aware of what your lane or lanes are, yeah right It's not like a that it's useful or helpful to drive anywhere and everywhere, right? There are lanes for a reason on the road, to use that analogy. And at the same time, you know some roads have multiple lanes and you can or sometimes even should be switching those lanes. I'm hearing that that's been an incredible asset for you and that it's really helpful that you had started investing in that enough in advance that you'd already had the infrastructure so that when the circumstances changed, you really could shift and pivot the energy you were inputting into that area or direction because you had that infrastructure. And at the same time, even if you didn't have that infrastructure built, that as a small business or as an entrepreneur, that you're aware that you can make those changes and pivots more quickly, more easily, as long as you're looking out for and working towards them.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people don't create change or do these pivots because they're afraid of the, like, what if I fail? What if it doesn't work? What will people say? But often I ask them, think about the other end of the spectrum. What if you don't do it and your business fails? What if you succeed? What do you think the probable situation is? You're probably going to be somewhere in the middle as you figure this thing out. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing that prevents people from being able to create pivots.
0: Yeah, as you're talking about that, I'm hearing you kind of outline, do a bit of analysis, outline some scenarios, and then think about planning, which is very much in line with what you were talking about on Insight Sunday for how you think and problem solve. And in this case, it's both in advance and also when things are changing. So I really appreciate you sharing that and kind of showing us how that looks in vivo when you really need to adapt.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it becomes a process you internally just start going through. And it's automatic, and then you can work your team through it. And then all of a sudden, your team can problem solve. Mm -hmm. And so it creates real change across the people you work with, communicate with, and I think it's powerful to be able to think in that way.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you. And thank you so much for this conversation. We're going to jump right into a second Couch Round because we've got to wrap up soon. So I'm going to kick it off with what's one thing you know now that you wish you knew when you were getting started?
1: I think the thing that I know now that I wish I knew when I was first getting started is stay the course. Focus on simplicity in your method, simplicity in your efforts, and simplicity in your tactics. It's not about the next shiny thing. It's not about the next piece of technology not about buying 700 different coaching programs. It's about finding one thing that you align with one program, one process, and being ultimately as simple as possible in your application of that strategy and stripping out any sort of complexity. Because what I figured out was complexity in the beginning creates massive bottlenecks as the business grows. Small problems become Mm -hmm. massive problems. And you see this even in the corporate environment now. The little problems when they were small businesses are now huge problems as big businesses. And so... The more simple you can make it,
0: the more simple it's going to grow in scale, and the more likely it is you're going to have less problems. Awesome. Thank you. Next question. What's the difference between a mistake and failure?
1: I don't know if there is a difference in mistakes and failure. I kind of see failure as my road to making mistakes, to leading me to be successful. I know when I make a decision, I'm probably going to fail. And I know when I fail, I'm going to be able to spot the mistakes I make, analyze them through our process, and then move forward with a plan of action to make it a little bit better the next time. And I don't even expect to succeed the second time. I know I'm probably going to fail again, and then I'm going to make more mistakes. But I'm going to learn, and I'm going to create mastery in these processes and in what I
0: learn from my mistakes and failures. Yeah, thank you. So again, that sounds so familiar and so much like what you were talking about on Insight Sunday with taking the action and then going back, looking at what did or didn't work, and then making that kind of adjustment or tinkering. And what I'm hearing is the concept of failure is not something that you view differently as a mistake, and it isn't something that you view as an indicator for something that won't work. It's more about learning and a process than it is about something that did or didn't work or happened the way you wanted.
1: Exactly. I think the only failure is the process you didn't learn from where you made a mistake. And ultimately, failing is good. Failing is a necessity. Mistakes are awesome because we grow and we scale. And ultimately, the best person in the room or the person who knows the most, who's achieved mastery, is the one who's failed more times than anybody else, probably 100 more times than anybody else in the room. And so they just know Mm. what not to do. And so I often tell people, I'm just too dumb to stop learning. And so that's why we succeed and keep growing.
0: That's awesome. If you think about it, And I think about this a lot as a psychologist and as someone who has a background in working with kids and child development is that children make a tremendous number of mistakes. If you ever see a child try to walk or learn to walk, they spend a lot more time falling than they do walking at first. And if they were to stop or say, well, I just won't get there, then we wouldn't be able to do most of the things that we learn to do and do really well. And so the one hand, I appreciate the way you say it, and I I imagine it's uh, tongue-in-cheek that you're too dumb to learn. I think it's incredibly intelligent. It sounds to me like there's something that for so many of us, we kind of lose it along the way. We get worried about failures or the stakes being high, and that's something perhaps to pay attention to or be intentional about, which reminds me of the bullets versus cannon kind of analogy that we talked about before, where you don't want to put too much into just one decision or one outcome put a little bit into it, see what happens, try it again, make a tweak. And what I'm hearing is that for you, that you've really developed and come to see and relate and have a process for, try something, see what does happen or doesn't happen, kind of do an analysis or thought process on it and go do something else and kind of make a change, work at it still and see where it can take you. And that's been an incredible learning approach that has really gotten you to where you are now.
1: Exactly. And it makes me not afraid to fail. It makes me not afraid to ask questions. I can ask the most naive question. And when you fundamentally ask these kinds of questions, for example, people often ask the general question, why is the sky blue? People don't know the answer to that question. They can't tell you that it's the way the light refracts off of and how we see blue light differently. And so it's the, the idea that sometimes the most naive and fundamental question leads you to the answer that you need to solve your problem. Mm. And you see this in, like, in psychology using like a downward arrow technique, where you ask why a bunch of different times so you can uncover their core belief. Same thing in engineering. Toyota has a process where you ask why five times, and you can eventually figure out a solution to the process. Mm. And so I think when you go through these processes of failure and making mistakes, you ask yourself why you failed. You do this analysis process. And it leads you to uncovering the reasons that are this is happening. So the next round, you bolt that on. It works a little better. You still make mistakes. You do it again and again and again until you create mastery in what you're doing.
0: Mm. Yeah, thank you. And right in line with that, our next question is, can you name someone who you can go to when you make a mistake? And they'll respond by saying, okay, let's deal with this now and then learn from it for later.
1: Yeah, I have a group of a mastermind, what do you guys think? And then everybody, it's a collective and collaborative environment. So everybody comes in there and starts asking why everybody comes in there and starts looking at it. And you ultimately create a cohesive environment to where you create real change. And then I think on the other side of things, Steph, my partner, who's my significant other at the same time and made it through all these businesses with me, I'll go up and I'll say, Hey, I screwed this up and she'll ask questions about it. And then we can kind of work through the process together and create change because i'd say she's more process oriented so she spots things differently than i do Mm. which is great because you have that other set of eyeballs and that different point of view which is super powerful and i think as a side note when i was chief of growth working with the ceo everything i did was questioned and so some people would take offense to that like well why are you questioning everything i do and why do you not like this for me it was what do you mean? And then he would tell me, and okay, what do you think about this? Oh, yeah, well, what about that? And so we would create these really cool collaborative sessions where we're essentially just asking questions for two hours to each other, but we create excellent projects from it.
0: Yeah, thank you. So I'm hearing that for you, what you've experienced, the way you get that is through a mastermind with your partner. And even when you were the kind of chief growth officer or the head of growth, you had a collaborative way of thinking where it was really all about exploring the perspectives, the desired outcomes, and the process around it. And so people around you who've really kind of helped you think and see that when or if in some areas you might not see it exactly in the same way.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think the biggest thing behind that is just check your ego. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay if people kind of don't understand what you're saying because you can eventually display it and create communication patterns that allow you to achieve mastery in what you're doing and i think we lose the ability to ask questions when kids start getting into school because it's less of an environment to where you're to ask questions you have the teacher who's an authority who is there to ask questions mm. but when you ask them you become ostracized and so i think as we grow older mm. we learn that it's not okay to ask a dumb question we learn that if we ask a question and we're wrong that's a negative thing and so i think mm. it creates a big problem and what it does in my opinion is it creates sort of workers but it doesn't create like creative minds and analytical thinkers and and sort of like the entrepreneurial ideal. Mm.
0: Yeah, so there's so much that we learn from our past experiences. And if we're in an environment where asking questions, being curious, even asking questions that may be viewed as very simple, that if they're viewed as an indicator of who you are or how you are, if they're looked down upon, or if you get judged for it, that it can really discourage us from thinking about those questions or thinking in that way, or thinking about questions, whether or not they're correct or they lead to a specific answer or result, thinking about them more as a process and a element of curiosity than it is just a kind of yes or no, you're good or bad, or you did the right thing or the wrong thing, or you know the information or don't know the information, all of which can really suppress creativity.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's like the idea of, and I'm reading a book right now called A More Beautiful Question, which is, it's a really good book about just answering questions and then how it's okay to be like naive and question philosophies and strategies. So you'll ask someone, why are you doing it? Well, it's what we've always done. Okay, well, why have you always done it? Oh, it's because it's just the way it's done. Oh, okay. Well, walk me through the way it's done. Why do you think that's appropriate for your situation? And so then people Mm. start to realize like, well, maybe that isn't the right thing. Maybe I've just kind of been following the status quo. And so Mm. it's Better your questioning skills become, the better of a person and a learner. And like you're saying, the more skillful and tactical you become in your application and approach to life.
0: Hmm. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to jump right into the next question. Can you name someone who you've learned from their mistakes instead of making your own?
1: Yeah, I think following, and it's hard in, in my world, I think I have these masterminds I'm part of to where I can talk to people about their mistakes and learn from what they did wrong. And I think that's a really big realm to where I learn. Because I think a lot of the time in the world of entrepreneurship, you are on your own island and you Mm. don't really have a lot of people to lean on because they just don't understand what you're sort of going through. So being part of these collaborative environments, like these masterminds, you can show up, you can get on the hot seat, you can talk, you can work through your problems, and you learn from the people who are a step ahead of you. And I think that's been invaluable for me to have mentors and peers who i can ask these questions to and even my significant other and everything it creates this environment to where i can learn from people ahead of me and people who aren't quite ahead of me and ultimately the more you listen the more you learn the more you ask the more you kind of
0: receive and the more you can apply awesome thank you so so much for sharing next question what's more important working in your business or working on your business
1: yeah, I think it depends on the stage of your business. I know the quote-unquote like thing people say is like you need to be working on your business and not in your business so much, but I think in the beginning stages as an entrepreneur, you have to be working in your business to create the processes and strategies that allow the business to run. And then as you grow and scale, you become more aligned with working on the business. And so as you go in the beginning, it's like, what do you do? Oh, I'm the janitor. I'm the toilet washer. I'm the marketer. I'm the salesperson. But then as you grow, it's like, okay, I'm no longer the marketer. Okay, I'm no longer the janitor. Okay, I'm no longer this. Then eventually, you move yourself into a CEO role where you're still overseeing the business. And I still think it's not this philosophy where you buy a laptop and move to Bora Bora and pretend like the business doesn't exist because it runs itself. If you're the CEO of your business, you still need to be aware and be able to analyze and be able to create objective strategies for that business to grow. If you're in a position to where you don't want to do that anymore, you pull yourself out, hire a CEO, and you become an investor in your business.
0: Yeah, thank you. So it's really more of a developmental process rather than a kind of binary one or the other all the time.
1: Exactly. Because there's so many fundamental things that's Do you have the cash flow to hire people so you can work on your business? No. Okay, well, then you're going to work in your business for a little bit till you get the cash flow. Do you have systems and strategies to set up to hire people appropriately? No. Okay, you're going to waste $100,000 trying to hire people. So let's get that set up. So you need to work in your business to make that work. And so I think it's really it evolves as you evolve in your business. And as your business grows, you become more capable of working on the business rather than in it. Awesome. Thank you.
0: Last question for our Couch Round. What is one thing that's coming up for you or your business that you're working on or really excited about?
1: Yeah, so we've essentially launched a new, not a new program, but we've essentially put a lot more effort into our program that allows heart-centered entrepreneurs and business owners to grow and scale their businesses. And it's been pretty neat building it up because the application of the brain code Rewire is in there. Take care of yourself first. Learn to take care of yourself so you can grow more but work less. Then we work on compassion conversations, how to grow and scale and how to communicate in your sales environment in a compassionate way, in a heart-centered way. And moving into how to scale the business through marketing and hiring and all of that stuff. So it kind of grew out of necessity because I could probably get 5,000 questions in Messenger a day about this kind of stuff. And so Mm -hmm. we started taking every year a group of about 25 people to be part of our mastermind for it. And now the last couple of years, we've been able to actually move it out of this private application and really scale it to the moon. So that's pretty exciting to build and grow and be part of.
0: Awesome. Yeah, thank you. And it sounds like so much of what you do with and for other heart-centered businesses and entrepreneurs is exactly what you've been sharing or is really connected with what you've been sharing today that you have really had to grapple with and overcome and trial by fire and figure out. And so you're really able now to share what you've really learned and developed and how you've overcome many of those challenges and engage in that with other entrepreneurs and businesses who really would benefit from it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think what makes us different in this environment is we live and breathe trial by fire. It isn't mm-hmm. just a mark. I didn't just build a marketing company and decide that I'm gonna sell to people who I have no idea what their business looks like. We Kind of built this thing up for 10 years before we decided to help other people do the same. And I think you have to achieve a certain level of mastery to teach this stuff to people. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so, so much. And thank you again for giving us a peek behind your success and diving into your hard-earned wisdom and your lessons. I think it's so rare and so powerful to learn from the pitfalls and the challenges and the trial by fire in the entrepreneurial and business journey, as well as the achievements and the successes I think it's really easy for someone to say, Oh, I have you know a six or seven figure business and I make x amount of profit and it's really easy to say that when you kind of cover or smooth over all of those challenges so I really appreciate you really digging into that and sharing that with us today
1: yeah, for sure, happy to do it and I agree I think there's too many people out there who are, i'm a seven figure entrepreneur, okay, and they live the guru lifestyle showing like fancy cars and stuff, which mm-hmm. may or may not be real but I think someone who's actually built it, who's done the grind, who's been there, understands that it's okay to get deep and talk about it, understands that the more you're open to talking about it, the more people can learn from your experiences and the more you can help create and shape the world you want to live in. Awesome.
0: Yeah, thank you. And so by way of recap, I hope that you guys today got a lot out of our conversation. I know that I have. Thank you so much, Chandler, for sharing your mistakes, your lessons I wouldn't even call them mistakes. I know you talked about it as like failures, really opportunities to learn. And so it's not even mistakes or failures. It's just so many of the lessons that you've learned along the way, including how important it is to be intentional and create systems and processes, where at the beginning, when it came to the brick and mortar business that you opened up, that you were working, what is it, 14 hours a day, 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. And to the point where your family kind of thought and saw you as a vampire, As opposed to really being able to be free and open for them and how much that's changed and how intentional you've been about that. So you shared important parts of this roadmap that you've developed and built and needed to build in order to create and have more independence and be able to have other people do the work in your business so that you can work on the business so that you can really scale. And also you've shared really important processes and elements that it's really unique to entrepreneurs and small businesses that they can pivot. And how important it is to be aware that if you want to scale beyond just being a solopreneur or being a really, really small couple person team, that you really need to be intentional. And thank you for sharing with us ways that we can be intentional and train them and show them how to do the work that would be most effective and really helpful for the business and also for them to be successful. So to set everybody up for success there. And thank you for sharing the work that you do with heart-centered businesses. I really, really appreciate it. And I think it's so meaningful. I know I was saying it before. I think it's really rare to talk with someone who shares both that and really obviously very clearly is heart-centered themselves. So thank you for our conversation today.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I feel like if I'm an open book, I can help other people just through your words. Words are the most powerful drug used by mankind. So let's Mm -hmm. use them in the right way and give people hope and, and create prosperity.